All right. Um, I wanted to share with you guys a little bit this morning um, about something that I'm going to call violent grace. And it's kind of seems like an oxymoron, right? We think of grace, we think of something soft and gentle and nice and friendly. And then we think of something violent. And the thought that comes to our mind is someone getting murdered, right? Um, and so I want us to see that grace is more than just a wimpy version of God, right? That, it's, that, it, that it does two things. Number one, it's overwhelmingly awesome. We talked about that this morning as we were worshiping. Um, we talked about God's grace being... Um, God's grace being something that just covers our sin. It redeems us. It transforms us. It, it literally means um, undeserved favor, right? If we don't deserve God to reach out. We did not deserve for Jesus to come down to earth and take on flesh and be brutalized um, or be spit upon. Or we didn't deserve that, right? We didn't deserve that. We had deserved, in fact, we... Honestly, if we look at our sin and we look at what we've done to God and how we've treated him in our sin, we deserve death. Um, It talks about in uh, Romans 3.23 that the wages of sin is death, right? That's what we deserved. And so when we think about as Christians, we sometimes can kind of get caught up in just, I feel like, the the minutia of Christianity and, and that we just kind of accept that and we just kind of get just used to being in Sunday morning church all the time. We just kind of get used to the, the fact that God's grace is just kind of something we just experience all the time. Um, but I just want to tell you a little bit, uh, before I go too much further, I want to go a little bit into the fact that I am a teacher. I teach at an alternative school in New Hope, Minnesota, um, called North Education uh, Center Academy. And um, while I've been there, I have I interact with the kids that get kicked out of schools, um, and they all show up at my school, right? So uh, they've been kicked out. They've either been have drug issues, or they have, um, uh, or they've you know they've been the ones that are at a school. I, one of my students um, uh, claimed that she was going to uh, shoot up the whole school, and actually went to to jail for a certain period of time because of that claim. Um, another, uh, another couple of my students, um, have, uh, just a whole host of different things that they've dealt with in their lives. And so where does grace fit in the middle of all of that? Uh, where does God's grace fit in the middle of that? And I feel like I see every day, um, there's people who see those kids and their first thought is, oh my goodness, hoodlums. Who would want to be with them, right? Who would want to be interacting with those people? Um, And I feel like God has given me a different perspective. Uh, In fact, I was not one of those people who wanted to be their teacher. I didn't choose them, but God chose me to be there. And um, I would have thought the place that I wanted to be would be at a school um, where all the kids were, you know, A students, and we're just going to rock it, and we're going to it's going to be the most awesome school ever, and, um, and yet I'm working with students who have a lot of times failed most of their classes and who um, uh, a lot of people would say, why are you even there? Well, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your energy, um, and yet this is where God has me. And because he has me there, um, he's, he's brought me to a place where I'm starting to see um, his heart in a different way than I ever did. And I grew up in the church. I grew up um, in a Christian family. And I think 
because of that, I kind of took some things for granted. And I wanted to share a little bit of Jesus' heart for sinners this morning um, with you guys. Um, and hopefully that's a little convicting to us. Hopefully it's a little encouraging to us as well. Um, because we're all, we've all sinned, right? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as it says in First John. Um, and so, anyway, that's, uh, I wanted to read a passage. Um, God's grace is both awesome, right? It is, it is this, this thing that, that frees us and gives us hope and life and joy. Um, but as believers, if we take that for granted, it can also be something that um, can be violent to different parts of our lives um, and the parts of our lives that we really need to die off, right? The parts of our lives that really need to go away. And um, so I'm really going to ha- have three points this morning, and they're going to be kind of intense. So um, hopefully, hopefully you can hang with me. I have a lot of Bible verses. I have some stories I'm going to share. Really, all of them, this message is going to come from stories primarily, um, either stories that Jesus told or um, stories that I've picked up along the way. Um, and that's kind of how I wanted to teach. Jesus taught a lot in parables, and I wanted to take a lot of his parables and just let's read them and, and see where that goes. So um, first point. God's grace is violent to our sense of justice. And if you're going to turn to me, let's go to Luke 15. Luke 15. You guys are going to be very familiar with this passage. I'm sure of it. Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. And it's the story of the prodigal son. I'm just going to read it straight through and then uh, and then talk about it a little bit. I'm not going to have a ton of commentary because I want God's word to speak for itself. So, let's read it. And he said, then that's when you say he, it's talking about Jesus here. Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him in his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach. Sorry. Um, I will mention that as I'm reading this, when I when I picture these the when I read this story, I picture some of my students, and so. Um, it's going to be a little bit emotional for me just because, to me, I, I, these aren't, this is not just a story Jesus told. This is, this is some of my, my people. So, um, anyway. And we would gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now most of the time when we hear this story, this is where it ends. Right? This is where the ends. We, do, we, we, we think about, wow, isn't it awesome that God's grace is so overwhelming to the son who has, who, has, who has wandered away. He's treated his father horribly, basically said in equivalence, I wish that you were dead. I want my inheritance now. And then wasted that inheritance, right? And, then, and yet the father comes and just re- accepts him in as a son. It's awesome. And that's where the story ends. But that's not where the story ends because Jesus keeps going. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring that these, how these things could be. What, what's going on, he's thinking. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry. I was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a single command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth and with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. When you guys, when we read that, I want you guys to picture in your minds the readers and the the, the listeners of what the the story that Jesus is telling. Because they would have seen themselves as the elder son. They would have seen themselves as person, people who have been doing things. They've been trying their hardest the whole time. They've been doing the right thing. And, and yet think about how unfair this is. Like how really literally unfair it is that this guy who is his brother who goes out and does all this horrible stuff and yet the father accepts him in. And I've been doing everything. I've been doing everything that I need to do to make everything right. I never asked my father to die. I didn't go spend his money wastefully. I didn't go sin. I was here the whole time. And yet this is how... Like, the father never gave me what this, my brother's doing. What? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Sometimes I think us in the church, we sometimes look at that and we say, how could God be w- using this sinner, this person outside of the church, to be doing his will? And yet I've been doing praying, I've been doing all the things that I thought God wanted me to do, and God's grace isn't fair, right? It's not fair. And, sorry, um, and it forces us to confront that part of our lives that says to us, we, um, we, we, we deserve, like, God's, we deserve God to be doing all these awesome things for us. Um, I want you guys to turn really quickly to Matthew 20, Matthew 21 through 15. I'm going to try to to go fast. I know I'm, I have so many things I want to say this morning. I'm just going to be Matthew 20 verses 1 through 15. 
For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them out into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idly in the marketplace. To those he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, right before the end of the day, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, because beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, he, they each received a denarius. Then those hired first came. They thought they would receive more. I mean, they've been working all day, right? You'd think, okay, so but he's, somebody's been working for one hour. Okay, they got a one denarius, so I've been working all day. That's probably at least eight or nine denarius, right? That's what they should be thinking they're getting paid. They've been working all day, working their tails off. Like, yeah, I agreed for the one denarius, but I was thinking that was, you know, but I, what I didn't know this guy was going to get. These other guys only going to get a denarius for an hour. Man, this might be a good deal for us. And they also only received denarius. When they received it, they grumbled to the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have been born the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give you this, la- th- this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. I also want to share a real quick story um, in Matthew 19. I'm not going to turn to it. You got, a lot of you guys are familiar with it. Uh, the rich young ruler, right? So this guy comes up. He's a rich guy. And he's basically saying to Jesus, he's like, you know, um, I want to know what I need to do to get to heaven. And Jesus is like, okay, well, you know, obey the Ten Commandments and, you know, honor all the rules and laws that you're following. He's like, yeah, I've done all those since my youth. Does that mean I'm going to go to heaven? And Jesus says, okay, well, one last thing, one last thing. Give everything that you have and give it to the poor. Sell it all. And give it to the point. Come follow me. And the guy's like, what? 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 Can you repeat that? Like, just make sh- like make sure I heard that right. And he, and he and he goes off sad. I'm just thinking about that. Like, and from that from my perspective, I'm like, man, okay. So let's think here. This guy has been following the the what he thought was the rules of God his whole life. Been following the word, the scriptures, the the the, the Bible of their day. He's been doing everything right. And yet Jesus is saying, give everything that he has. And he's like, but what if I just want to, you know, he's been given his tithe. He's been given his 10%, like consistently. That's part of the word. Like he's been doing that. He's been doing what he thought was necessary. And yet Jesus is saying, everything that you now know as part of your identity, give it away. Everything that you understand as your identity, yeah, just give it away. Follow me. No big deal, right? God's violent grace is it it it, it kill it, it it desires it's violent to our sense of justice. Right? How is this just? This guy's been doing everything that he thought he was supposed to do, and yet how is this just? 
I want to take that story of the, uh, the uh, rich young ruler, and I want, I want to flip it. There is a, a story by Victor Hugo um, known as Les Miserables. They've made several movies of it. Um, I wanted to share a story a bit that kind of flips the rich young ruler on its head. So there was this guy who grew up in a very rich family. And in Victor Hugo's story, um, he, uh, and he desired he wanted to follow God. And so when his family passed away, he inherited all this wealth, tons and tons and tons of money, including this massive mansion. And in, in his, he, he really just felt that God was telling him that he needed to sell it all to give it all away. Um, and so he did. He, um, he actually, he turned, he became, a, he became a priest. He just said, you know what, I'm going to sell all that stuff and I'm going to let it go. And he moved into this tiny little place that used to be a hospital. And he took his mansion and turned that into the hospital where all the poor people could stay. Right? Where he was living before, he, he sold, he basically gave that so that the poor people could live there. The one thing that he held back is he held back some silver for himself. He, it, was his, it was a family heirloom, and he wanted to keep it. Right? He wanted to keep it. And so... Um, just a couple, you know, about eight pieces of silver, uh, like some forks and knives and things like that. And then um, there was a couple candlesticks and some plates and things that he had kept. That's the only thing he kept of all the wealth that he had. He sold everything else and gave it to the poor. And he, uh, he just kept that little bit for himself. I'm going to pause that story for a second. About 10 years earlier, before this situation that I'm going to explain in a minute here, there was this guy who is, um, was really poor. And it was, it was such a bad uh, depression in the land that he, um, he was starving. This guy was starving. And he decided, oh, I'm going to steal a loaf of bread because I need to eat something, right? I need to eat something. So he steals a loaf of bread, right? And in the process of stealing it, he ends up getting caught. And he goes to prison for 10 years, Right? Um, and so he's in prison, like that just to me, that just boggles my mind that somebody would be in prison for 10 years for stealing a loaf of bread, but that's the story, right? So he gets, he, he, and what do we know about if somebody's in prison for about 10 years? They kind of learn how to become a criminal. You get to be an expert at it, right? Um, a lot of, a lot of my students, I feel like have gotten to the point where they've, they've been in jail at a period of time and they kind of get, learn from the people around them. Like, this is how you, how, what it means to be a criminal. This is what it looks like. And so he gets out, and uh, he's, he's, of course, you know, he's been in prison for 10 years. He doesn't have anything, and he's, he's also poor, and he's kind of on the run because he, didn't, he did not. Um, so after you get out of jail, you have, uh, I'm trying to remember what that, that's called, where you have to go check in with people every once in a while. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? A pr- probation, right? So he had to go check in with a probation officer, and he didn't do it. And so he's now on the run. And so he bumps in. He, he's, he's sitting there, and it's raining outside, and he's just, uh, just trying to find a place of shelter, and he decides to take shelter um, in this church where the priest is. And the priest invites him in and says, everything that I have is yours. Everything that I have is yours. And so this, you know, person who came in who um, is on the run, and he's learned how to become a criminal. He, he says, oh, I'll take him, uh, take him up on his offer, right? And so he sees some silver. The guy brings out his best stuff, right, to feed him. And that night, 
the the criminal's like, I know, I'll, I'll just I'll steal this. So he takes the silverware, leaves the other stuff. He just takes the silverware, and he runs away. Well, the next day he gets caught, and he gets brought back to the priest. And um, justice would be served, right? The guy, the guy, the guy that is a criminal gets caught, and he goes back to prison. Like everything's all good, right? Well, the priest's response is very, very different. The priest actually says to Jean Valjean, the main character of Les Mis, if you ever have a chance to watch it, it's a great, great stu- movie. It's also a great book. Um, he says, the, 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 they bring him in, and the, uh, the police officer is kind of like, okay, we caught this guy. He's got your silver. Here's the silver. It's obvious that, and he's claiming that you gave it to him. And the priest is like, I did. And and I what I was one what I didn't understand Jean Jean is why do you didn't take this other stuff too? And so he gives him literally all of the rest of his wealth, right? All of his family heirlooms, the things that he had held on to. We see um, in Matthew chapter five, Jesus says something similar to that um, about how we're supposed to respond. And I'm just going to read it real quick. Um, I have way too many points and not enough time. All right, um, Matthew 5, verses 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. Justice, right? Take an eye, you lose an eye. Knock out somebody's tooth, you lose a tooth, right? That makes sense, justice. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. What? But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Makes sense, right? People who treat us bad, we treat them bad, right? We would protect ourselves, keep ourselves from being hurt. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What? So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So Jesus is basically saying, if you want to be like the father who doesn't always work the way that we would like him to work, which we'd like him to be bashing the bad guys. If you read Psalms, like David's constantly saying, God, why don't you bash the bad guys? They're doing bad things. Like, just just take those guys out. They're bad guys. Like, just take them out. Let's do it. Let's do this. What's going on? Why are you taking so long? Let's hurry up now. Come on. If you read through the Psalms, David is constantly doing that, right? Because he has a lot of enemies, a lot of people who don't like him. And a lot of people who who are literally legitimately treating him badly, right? He's, and yet, that's not the way God responds. God it says in the word that God prefers, I prefer mercy over sacrifice, right? I pres- I, he, he desires mercy. He desires grace. And so if we're going to be his followers, basically Jesus is saying, you got to do the same thing. got to do the same thing. Yeesh. 
That's, that's convicting, right? That should be convicting to us. How many of us, when we have somebody, something stolen from us, or go, would go to that person and say, hey, you should take this too? I'm only going to get through two points because I have too much. I want to talk about uh, God's grace is violent to our comfort. So God's grace is violent to our sense of justice, right? Our sense of what should be, the way that things should be. We ju- I just talked about how in several different passages that Jesus desires us um, to, to, to do things that don't seem right or don't seem just, um, the same way that the Father does that to, for us. Like his grace overshadows us and gives us um, the, the ability to be loved and cherished by the Father, even though we spit and reject him, right? Even though we've done all those things, God responds that way, the same way that he wants us to respond to others that are around us. Well, also, God's grace is violent to our sense of comfort. And I kind of read, uh, didn't read through it, but actually I'm going to read through it right now real quick because um, I think it's, it's worth reading and understanding if we're going to really understand this point. Um, Philippians chapter 2. So if you guys turn to Philippians chapter 2 for me, that would be awesome. All right, I'm just going to read from the um, from the beginning. I'm going to read up into um, up to chap- up to verse 11, so 1 through 11. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." So basically what what that passage says is we're supposed to act like Jesus did and leave our comfort place, heaven, right? That's what Jesus did, left, comf- left comfort, left security, and poured himself and served those who would be spitting on him and rejecting him and criticizing him and hating him. Just think about that for a minute, how intense that thought is, right? How intense that thought is that Jesus was willing to do that, and then Paul's saying, okay, now do it. You do it. Same thing. Have the same attitude. All right. So let's look at who these people are. Who are the people we're supposed to be willing to put ourselves in the place of? So Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. All right. 
Oh, sorry, starting in verse 30. I did that. Uh, 25. Okay, yeah, that's right. And a lawyer stood up to, and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and neighbor as, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said this story. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Remember, think about that comfort thing, right? Why didn't the priest stop? I, I, I've wondered that. Like, this is a Jew, right? And the, they, they, like, they're both Jews. Like, they're, they're both the priest of all the people. I mean, we just read about a priest, right? The priest should have been like, dude, like, I'll help you out. Like, let, let's, let's, let's figure this out. But instead he doesn't. He responds saying, I'm not going to be bothered by that situation. Um, likewise, a Levite. So a guy who's one of the one of the of the tribe that is chosen by God to to inspire and encouraging people to towards God, right? That's the tribe. The Levites were the tribe that was dedicated to pointing people to God. Also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, or dare I say a Somali. Somebody who, like, doesn't fit into our category, right? Doesn't, they, they don't even worship the same God. They don't even believe the same things about God, right? So this is a Samaritan comes, who was on the journey, came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. He doesn't even say the Samaritan, right? He could say the Samaritan, but he doesn't even want to say the guy's name. like Because it's so disgusting, the idea that this guy would be. It's like, oh, just that one guy who showed mercy to him. Yeah, that guy. And Jesus said to go, him, go and do the same. So the point that I'm trying to make here is, um, and I think that Jesus is trying to make is, that mercy is, is uncomfortable, right? That, that grace is uncomfortable. We can't be comfortable and still live those things out, right? We can't be comfortable. And Jesus couldn't be comfortable in heaven and still show us grace and mercy, and what Jesus is actually saying here is kind of kind of crazy for people at that time, right? Because they hated the Samaritans. They hated them, right? And Jesus is really saying that the person who acts in mercy and grace is closer, even if they're from some group of people that you don't like, they're closer to my heart than the ones who are supposed to be doing this for a living than pastors, right? This is mind-boggling if you think about it, like just just putting this in our context and what this looks like. It is mind-boggling, mind-boggling. 
Um, so Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter who you are. Be willing to be uncomfortable, right? It doesn't matter who you are. And when you do that, you act like the Father. You do the things that Jesus would do um, and the things that he's passionate about. All right. Um, I just want to share this one last story, and then I'm going to close. Um, there's a sermon that I really, really, really like called Ten Shekels in a Shirt. If some of you guys have heard it before, that's awesome. But I wanted to share a story um, from the very end. Sorry, I'm going to get emotional just thinking about this story. Because um, anyway, um, this, is, this, this so accurately describes how God's grace is violent, absolutely ruthless to our sense of comfort. Um, there was a, uh, a group of young men, um, or part of, they were Moravians, and there were two young Moravians who heard of an island in the West Indies. Sorry. This does really impact, like, um, it's, it's my life right now, so. Um, two young Moravians heard of an island in the West Indies where an atheist British owner had 2,000 to 3,000 slaves. And the owner had said, no preacher, no clergyman will ever stay on this island. If he's shipwrecked, we'll keep him in a separate house until he has to leave. But he's never going to talk to any of us about God. I'm through with all that nonsense. 3,000 slaves from the jungles of Africa brought to an island in the Atlantic and there to live and die without hearing of Christ. Two young Moravians heard about it. They sold themselves to the British planter and used the money they received from their sale. For he paid no more than he would for any slave to pay their passage out to his island, for he wouldn't even transport them. As the ship as the ship left its pier in the river at Hamburg, and was going out into the North Sea, carried with the tide, the Moravians had come from Heronhut to see these two lads off in their early twenties, never to return again. For this wasn't a four year term. They sold themselves into lifetime slavery. Simply that as slaves, they could be as Christians where these others were. The families were there weeping, for they knew they'd never see them again. And they wondered, why, why were they going and questioned the wisdom of it? As the gap widened and the housings had been cast off, were being curled up there on the pier. The young boys saw the widening gap. One lad, with his arm linked through the arm of his fellow, raised his hand and shouted across the gap the last words that were heard from them. They were these. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. This became the call of Moravian missions. This is the really the only reason for being that the lamb that was slain may receive the reward of his suffering. So you ask me why I'm in a school of alternative kids. So that the lamb that was slain may receive the reward of his suffering. We've got to get to the point where we set our comfort aside. That we set the things that we are comfortable with and we say, Jesus, I want to follow you wherever that leads. Because that's what he's done for us. Let's pray. Jesus, 
the stuff that I shared this morning, God, it's, it's not from me, it's from you. And I pray that your spirit would quicken in our hearts the people in our lives who need to experience your grace. They would help us to look beyond the borders, beyond the, the walls, beyond the, the things that we place and we put between ourselves and, your, and the sinners around us. And you would help us to love them as you love them. You would help us to see and experience your grace and mercy. We're reminded every day of what that is so that we wouldn't forget that that's what you want to share with the world. You didn't give us that to just share it with us. You've given us those things that we might be changed and transformed, be little Jesuses walking into our communities. I pray that you would help us to do that. I pray that you would violently destroy our comfort. I pray that you would violently destroy our sense of justice, that your sense of mercy and grace would flow from us. God, I pray that you would help us to see through your eyes and that our heart would break for what breaks yours. Remind us again every day, renew our mind in what it means to be loved. Because in our understanding of your love for us, we can also see the love that you have for the world. May you receive, Jesus, may you receive the reward of your suffering. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.